This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Not sure who the guy was who came up with the it happens in threes. Is that more of a saying, or has that been actually data proven? We'll get to that analytics question here in a minute, because usually when you're talking about things happening in threes, it's not good. So let's hope that Pauly Podcast, Darren Urban, and Kyle Odegaard can defy the happening in threes, because I've had one beset upon me in the last few days. Two days ago, I walked outside at Albertson's Gentleman. Follow me here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. And... There was a vehicle. I somehow lost the front row parking spot at the grocery store to a vehicle that can only be described as the Batmobile turned into to into a, a Mardi Gras parade float. It was incomprehensible. The 25-foot vehicle that was parked in the front row, it belonged in the circus. Then yesterday, I pulled up on a $150,000 Maserati that was right out of Dr. Seuss. It had a paint job and or wrap job that was what's the Dr. Seuss that has to deal with spots. And it was multicolored spots all over this thing. Um, Something straight out of what I saw in Berkeley back in the college days. And, And then just to continue silly season and confirm, we now have a mock draft gentleman out of the NFL network here today that contends the Arizona Cardinals will move up into the top 10, give up draft capital and other assets to draft a wide receiver. So yes, these things do happen in threes. And yes, that was a long way to go to ridicule the latest mock draft and cite the need for this draft to happen sooner than later. Well, we're, we're right on, we're right on the, the precipice, right, Paul? Well, there's this podcast and then there's next week's podcast and, uh, and then we're there. And, and that's really how everybody, I'm sure, marks the time is uh, episodes of Cardinals Underground and when they're coming out. I have to say that was a very tenuous link between cars at Albertsons and mock drafts. But I thought you brought it all together and put a nice bow on it. Nobody noticed until I brought it back up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the link there, Kyle, was hashtag silly season. I mean, what is the craziness that that has all of a sudden uh, surrounded us here in the week or so ahead of the NFL draft. It's sort of like, um, did you hear new Texans GM Nick Casario? And when the media was peppering him with questions and his response was, look, if you want to speculate, go trade Bitcoin, which I thought was a nice mic drop rip job on the media. So the speculation has just gotten to the point of Bitcoin media. Has it not? I mean, it's like the cryptocurrency of mock drafts at this point, when you have the Cardinals, Kyle, going up into the top 10 and then (laughs) drafting a receiver? Come on now. Yeah, I mean, 
obviously when you do seven mod drafts per analyst and there's 564,000 analysts out there, you're going to have a lot of silly ideas and, and different moves. Do I think the Cardinals will trade up? I would doubt it because you look at their draft capital right now and they don't have a lot of ammunition to move up. And say you give up your second rounder this year, you're putting a lot of trust in that first round pick. And I mean, if you get a, an all pro player, then it works out. But if you miss and you're talking about going over the first four rounds because you don't have the other picks that can really set an organization back. So it would surprise me if they moved up for sure. And like you said, wide out, I don't know. I mean, first round, I think you, you're going up for a player that you absolutely love. I don't think position's as big a deal, um, but that certainly isn't the position we've always been talking about. It, it's certainly cornerback. I think ultimately I'm going to be stronger. I mean, Kyle is being very nice there. There's no way on God's green earth, they trade up. I, there's just no way. And it comes down to that that capital, which they they made their draft move by trading the third-round pick for Rodney Hudson. I think in terms of the, the picks that they had going into this offseason, once they made that that deal, um, that is is ultimately, um, I, I think, where that went. And, and I certainly wouldn't trade up for a wide receiver. I mean, to be honest, Paul, I don't even think they're going to pick a wide receiver at 16. Why would you trade up to seven to get them? Now, I understand the argument would be, well, in this case with Peter Schrager's mock draft, he's talking about getting what he sees as a special talent in Jalen Waddle. But, I mean, the, the, when you start breaking down the receivers that have been picked over the last few years, the ones who really pop and the ones that don't, I mean, it's a 50-50 proposition if a first-round wide receiver even does anything for you worth a damn, uh, much less becomes an all-pro. So I, I just I don't see it. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, and I'm with you. And we hashed this out not only – the hit and miss nature of the position itself over the last five years or so, especially first round wide receivers. But the fact you have a pair of second round wide receivers, you need to find out about this year. So I think that's where the Cardinals are at with that position. And I'm with you guys in that they're targeting another position first and foremost, Kyle mentioned it, but our segue into that position is a letter to the fans by Patrick Peterson and Darren, I know you wrote about it in azcardinals.com. But the one quote that got me near the top of it, and it's pretty lengthy, was, quote, am I surprised to be leaving? A little bit, I'm not going to lie. But I wasn't taken aback by it, if that makes sense. Quote, end quote, Patrick, Peace, Patrick Peterson. I, 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 there was a few things in there that obviously caught my eye. Um, I, I will say that, the, the one thing that really did was him acknowledging at the very end that it did not end here the way he would have liked. Um, you know, you can sit there and say you weren't surprised, which I agree that he wasn't, but I think down deep Patrick Peterson wanted to be a Cardinal for life. And I know there are fans that are, you know, we've talked about this a million times. I know there are fans that disagree with us. I know there are fans that, we're ready to see Patrick move on with everything that had happened. I know that Patrick asked for a trade at one point. So I, I get the fans that are like, how could you talk about this guy wanting to be a Cardinal for life when he wanted out? But I, I do think that he had gotten to the point and where this team was and, and where he was in his career and with his family that I think he wanted to stay here. And I do, 
as he acknowledged, was disappointed uh, that he didn't get to stick around. Kyle, your takeaways from the uh, essay by Patrick Peterson to the fans. Yeah, I thought it was it was great that he wrote it and acknowledged a lot of people that meant a lot to him and talked about teammates and fans and coaches. I thought it was a nice little journey back through what he'd been through because he was he went through a lot with the Cardinals, a lot of very high highs and some low lows. Not a guy who had many just normal seasons. I mean, he was a pro bowler and an all pro in a lot of those seasons. And then he had the PED suspension. And like Darren said, asked for a trade. Like a lot of stuff went on during his 10-year tenure. But I I thought it was a nice thing of acknowledging uh, the fans and and what he wrote. I think it it put a nice kind of bow on a, a tenure that was sometimes up and down. But if we look back and see what he meant to this team, I think he was one of the most pivotal players for the last decade. And he was certainly one of their best players for that time span. So it'll be interesting to see what this team looks like without him. I mean, he's been such a fixture as that number one cornerback for so long. And you think Malcolm Butler can move in there and do it, but if he can't, I mean, you, you haven't really had like a sieve at both one and two corners. There's obviously been questions at number two, but Patrick Peterson always did a nice job of limiting the damage for the team defensively. So you have to hope that Malcolm Butler and and the rest of the guys can pick up that slack. He named a few names in the essay, including Johnny Hayward, longtime member of the uh, Cardinals broadcast team and, and one of the videographers. And I saw where Johnny Hayward retweeted and said, you know what? Pat never hesitated to wear a microphone in his big matchups. He never declined checking and shadowing and traveling with the Julio Jones and Calvin Johnsons of the world. And, and, and with that, he was so confident in his abilities, he would wear the mic, which, as we all know, guys, behind the scenes, some guys like to wear the mic, some don't. Some guys like the extra attention, some don't. Some selectively pick the games in which they think they have the best chance to succeed before they wear the mic and have the NFL films treatment and get the wired feature uh, that week and the video on Cardinals broadcasting. So I agree with that. Pat was always up for the challenge. You, you never had to ask him twice. And there's an unbelievable value when you when you think back of all the defensive coordinators the Cardinals have had over the years, from Todd Bowles to James Betcher to now Vance Joseph. And every one of those guys cited the unbelievable importance as a DC to start your game plan with, okay, our number one corner is going to go against your number one receiving threat. And then your game plan trickles down from there. Do the Cardinals have that guy this year? Do they need that guy? Do they have to change what they're going to do? Ideally, Vance Joseph speaks of being a press man cover team, and you'd like to have that number one cover corner who can travel with the Tyler Lockett's of the world just in your own division and some of the other premier receivers. There's no doubt about that. It's interesting, though. We had Frank Sanders on the Big Red Rage longtime Cardinals receiver and avid golfer like Patrick Peterson. And he said he had played golf recently with Pat P and Pat P told him that, you know what, Frank, I just felt like there needed to be some change and there's nothing wrong with that change on both sides. And Pat P's introduction to his essay was much better than my introduction to Cardinals underground, where I thought (laughs) he likened this point in his career to an Arizona sunset which are some of the most spectacular in the world. And you know what? I think of Pat P right now in similar terms. The sun is set. It's a glorious sunset. 
He had a Hall of Fame caliber career with the Cardinals, but it was time to move on. I think that's a fair way to address it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's trying to look at it that way. I mean, let's face it. He doesn't have much another way to really look at it. I mean, the reality was, is I, I, you know, judging and we don't know the specifics. Okay. And, and I, I don't know for sure how things went down, but the more I, I try and read between the lines of what Steve Kime has said over time, uh, this off season and what Patrick has said a couple of different times, I'm not even hundred percent sure they ever actually extended any kind of offer to him at all. Um, and if they did, it was probably for a lot less money than Patrick was expecting. But I, there's a chance that they knew he was going to be able to get more elsewhere. And, and that's kind of what they were thinking. And, and if that's the case, that's a, I can understand why that, that'd be a tough way to do it. But if that's the way it went down, I mean, you don't have much choice, but to then to start over. So I'm glad he's trying to get his arms around it. Like I said, he, he did say that he was a little disappointed that it ended that way, but um, such is the business of this league uh, in a lot of ways. And we're, we're going to see what Patrick has left. He talks about wanting to play at least five more years and uh, he's only under contract for one. So we'll see how this, this goes forward with him. Um, but, you know, I, I can't help, but like Patrick, I always got along with Patrick. Um, he was great for us uh, and treated me very well. So, um, you know, from the day he showed up, uh, for his press conference after the 2011 draft uh, till the very end. I mean, he was always great with me, and, and I wish him nothing but the best. And you guys know you dealt with him in the locker room all the time. Uh, I had the pleasure of emceeing a number of his charity events. Same guy in front of the camera, off camera. He's the same guy, very affable, great with his kids. Oh, my gosh, his two daughters and his wife, Antonique, at some of those charity events that I emceed. I always had that affable personality and that, that you know that great smile that uh you know could 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 light things up so yeah that's when you knew to me the one year under steve wilkes that's where it bottomed out was after the broncos lost on the thursday night and then pat p followed up a few days later and it became known that he had somehow requested a trade and the frustration just boiled over i think on two counts one the cardinals weren't winning two he wasn't being utilized the way he wanted to be in that defense he didn't get a chance to travel with Emmanuel Sanders on that Thursday night game in prime time. And Emmanuel Sanders torched him against a backup safety. Rudy Ford, it was, who blew it on a, on a zone coverage, which Pat never thought they should have been in in the first place, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, I think that says a lot about how he was feeling. I mean, he didn't like to lose, certainly, but I agree with you. I think a big part of it was just playing that scheme where he he's – such an excellent press man corner. And he was at that point in his career, shutting down Julio Jones and Deandre Hopkins and not shutting down, but making sure they weren't going absolutely off in games. And he didn't want to be on a certain side of the field and playing 15 yards off of a guy or 10 yards off of a guy and peering into the backfield. That wasn't his game and he wasn't happy. And I just, I've always appreciated his authenticity. And I think it, it has rubbed people the wrong way because he's very truthful about how confident he is in himself and his play, but he's also truthful in other aspects. And I think that's what we appreciate about him because when you get to that level of fame, you don't have to always 
be that open. You can just kind of put on a, a, a some sort of facade and and say what people want to hear and just move along. But he always answered truthfully. And to me, I really respected that and appreciated that. And that's why I'm always going to have a, a high level of appreciation for Patrick Peterson. He was even forthright when DK Metcalf hawked Buda Baker. Yep. Remember after the game, he said he kind of smiled and shook his head a little bit of gallows humor and said, yeah, I don't have those young legs anymore. And it was sort of a, a first time admission that he couldn't keep up with someone else out on the field. And, and I think that was a sobering realization that he was a 30 year old and you're not going to run with the DK Metcalfs of the world when, when you've got 10 years in the league. And this, that's why this season in particular is going to be so interesting because you can understand the thought process of not bringing Patrick Peterson back because it does look like he's in a level of physical decline, but his peak was so high. If he does bounce back or if he does play similarly, the Vikings got a good deal for that contract. But if that was the peak and he starts to deteriorate, deteriorate rapidly, then he's a cornerback who might have to shift to safety or might have to play zone or get more help over the top. So I'm really intrigued to see what this season looks like for him. Um, I think there's two ways it could go. Either he could be a quality cornerback once again, or it could start having the wheels fall off pretty quickly. And then, and then you start wondering how long does he have left at cornerback? Which brings us to the draft in that position. Darren Urban. T-minus one week and counting until the NFL draft 2021. How shocked will you be if the Cardinals don't go cornerback? I'll be honest, Paul. That's that's really, for me, it's, it's kind of impossible to answer right now just because of I don't know who's on the board. Um, I, I, everything is pointed that way for such a long time. That kind of stuff scares the heck out of me when only one position stands out so much that you're going to spend a first round pick on it, that that's, I mean, it's it, okay. If you're picking really high and you're going after a quarterback, that's a little different of a situation. But if you're picking, you're picking in the middle of the first round and you're super locked into one position, that scares me. Um, well, you brought it up last week, the second round pass rusher out of UConn. What oh, was his name? Uh, Cody Brown, Cody Brown. They forced it. Yeah. They forced that. And, and it's, you, you just, you can't be in that position. And, and again, this is what Steve Kime has spent the off season trying to do is, is not have those holes. That's why he did it last year with the guys he signed in Campbell and Jordan Phillips. Uh, and, and that's what he to try to do mostly this off season with the guys he signed. And he even signed a cornerback. The problem with they have a cornerback is that they really had nobody. I mean, Patrick Peterson wasn't, the only one that's not around anymore. You don't have Drake Kirkpatrick. You, you don't, you, you just have Byron Murphy and uh, an unknown in Robert Alford. And that's what's so scary at this point uh, with this whole thing. So will I be surprised? I will, here's, I'll put it this way, Paul. If there's a guy on the board, I will be surprised if they don't take him uh, a little bit. But it also will tell me a lot. If Horn and Sertan are off the board, and Farley's the guy, and he's sitting at, there at 16, and they pass on him, I think that says more about what, how they feel about Farley in particular rather than wanting to go in a different direction just because of Caleb Farley 
has had the, the injury issues, and Caleb Farley did not play in 2020, so he hasn't played in a football game since 2019. I mean, these these are things that are, I, I would think, worry you a little bit. Now, are you are you in a position where, hey, if we can trade back to 23 and get Greg Newsom, that's cr- fine. But if we can't trade back, and you're going to take Greg Newsom in the first round anyways, would you just take him at 16? I mean, that's the other thing they've got to figure out. If he's your guy at 23, he still should be your guy at 16. Look, if you have Sertan or J.C. Horn still lingering there at 13, 14, that's the scenario where I could see the Arizona Cardinals trading up. A little bit, a little bit. Just a couple of slots up the board, make sure no one jumps in front of them to get their guy, one of those two guys. And I, I agree with you, Darren. I think it's... It's the big two right now at cornerback, Sertan and J.C. Horn. I could see him maybe making a move up the board to nab one of those two guys. Otherwise, they're either standing at 16, Cal, or trading down if their guy isn't there. No, I think that puts way too much value on these cornerbacks. I mean, that's that's your biggest need, but you've got a lot of other needs when you look beyond just 2021, and you guys aren't as on board with receiver, but I think – if you're sitting at 16 and you can either trade up and get JC Horn at 13, or if you wait a Jalen Waddle or Devonte Smith or somebody falls, give me the receiver 10 times out of 10 where you're not giving up draft capital to move up. So I, I, I think it's more likely that they draft somebody other than a cornerback in the first round, because I think Sertan and I think JC Horn will probably go before 16. I don't think they're going to trade up and I don't think they're going to reach for a corner. And yeah, I mean, if Newsom or Farley or Asante Samuel or somebody is really highly ranked and they like them more than the consensus mock drafts, then that's fine. But I think, I think in the first round you go with the best player available no matter your need because it's it's important for the long-term health of the franchise to hit on that pick because hey you got Greg Newsom or whoever don't mean to use him as a, a bad thing but if the guy doesn't work out it doesn't matter that you picked a cornerback because you needed a cornerback I don't think that's a good way to go into a draft well I, I first of all I agree with you Kyle with the idea that I don't see them trading up I don't have a problem with them taking a receiver if they think he's the best guy at 16, don't get me wrong. I mean, if that's the direction they want to go, I mean, beyond at this point, beyond DeAndre Hopkins, after the season, who's your receiver? Kirk's going to be up. You still don't know anything about Isabella. AJ Green's on a one-year deal. I have no problem getting a young receiver that you think could be ultra talented. I, I don't have a problem with that. There's other places I wouldn't mind looking. So it would depend on how your board is. And again, when we start talking about best player available, don't forget, and this is very real, that when they rank their board of the best players of the, the tiers that they have for where all these guys fit, need matters. Need is factored into this whole thing in terms of how they have them ranked. So um, you're, you're going to not necessarily just go way off the reservation with, uh, and I, I can't even, the, the thing is, is you can't even think of a player right now that they have so many of that you wouldn't want to take them. Yeah, I mean, I get it at quarterback. Obviously, even if you like a quarterback, you're not taking them because you're not using that draft capital. But I I get the need perspective, but I would still, if I'm drafting at 16, I would just go straight favorite player on the board because I think where they're at with their long-term needs, it's 
it's just so vast that I think any player that you think is a Pro Bowl caliber player, you just grab them and you figure it out. I'm sitting there at 16. The corners are gone. Pass rusher is gone that you think is worth it at 16. And I'll get to that position group in a minute. What Drew Grigson told us in the Big Red Rage, the director of player personnel. But I'm sitting in there at 16 and your best option is receiver. I'm trading down. Absolutely trading down in the name of Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy last year. I don't care if Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle are there at 16. I'm moving down to 20, 23. I'm getting a nice asset in return. You don't have a third rounder. You don't have a fourth rounder, whatever that commands. I don't care. And then I'll take my receiver there. The position group is deep enough. You know, might not get the guy you were thinking at 16. That's, that's the way I would approach receiver here based on the lack of return on investment the last few years at that position. Okay. So my question then is if the receiver group is so deep that you can wait till later to get one, why would somebody trade up to get a receiver when they can also wait and get somebody later? Well, let's say maybe a quarterback is still on the board at that point. You know, I'm not saying that the team trading up is going after receiver, but they might have a different need that. that well, so you're counting on somebody wanting yeah. to move up though. Right. That's the thing. I'm yeah. working the phones. I'm working the phones. Any takers who wants 16, uh, let me hear your best offer. You've got seven minutes. Okay. So that, here, that here's the my approach. Here's the question then, Paul you work the phones, you can't, you don't get either they're asking you to go from 16 to 30 and you don't like it, or you can't get any takers and you're on the board with 16 and those, the corners are off the board and, uh, and, and, and the best player on your board is a receiver. You're still not taking a receiver. That receiver better be a significant margin ahead of any other player available on my top 120. That, that would be my answer to that. You're getting way too caught up in the statistical noise of recent first round receivers not playing well. I mean, it, if you had a bigger sample size or anything like definitive that receivers always are less productive than their draft stock, that's fine. But I, I think one or two or three years of you're talking about maybe 10 wide receivers in total and judging this year's draft class off of what they did, I think will just put you in a bad spot. I think it's all about the evaluation of the prospects. I mean, we've seen Odell Beckham come in and light things on fire and Mike Evans and Julio Jones was a first round pick, Justin Jefferson. I mean, there's plenty of first round wide receivers that have been great. And there's plenty that have busted and it's probably about the same bust rate as every other position, because if there was a clear data out there that a certain position is not worth it in the first round, those players would move down and they have at running back. And that's been kind of borne out, but I don't think that's the case of receiver. I think that position is becoming more important as we become a passing league. So once again, if there's, if my top rated guy is a receiver at 16, I would definitely take him. You know, this is just my my thought, and, and I don't have the data at my fingertips. If you had zoom out to 10, 15, 20 years, I would agree with you. Last five years, no. No, if you go back to the lack of success in first-round receivers the last five years, so you're right. I am basing it on that. Perhaps I'm putting too much stock in that. Um, I will say, though, that running back, to me, is a good comp for the receiver position. I do think of the receiver position right here, right now, akin to running back unless the guy is adrian peterson i'm not going top 10 at that position i'm just not so 
you're right. Uh, we do have a difference in opinion on that one. What about this? And, and I saw this, our, our Craig Grillo actually uh, made this a featured element in a tweet from his cover two show here recently. And it was something that I was hitting on strong around the Super Bowl, was I not, Kyle? When I was saying, oh, please, draft gods, let a Devin White fall to the Arizona Cardinals at 16. A Roquan Smith, a Fred Warner, a Bobby Wagner, a Luke Keekley. If there is that guy in the middle of the first round, make him your guy. Because what that guy can do in the middle of your defense. So what about it, gentlemen? What if, oh, I don't know, Micah Parsons has a bit of a questionable character grade by a lot of teams if Micah Parsons of Penn State starts to be the guy that guy who falls what do you do at 16 Darren it's funny because the first thing I thought of when you just rattled off all those guys was they all went well before 16 you know so those guys don't usually last all the way till the middle of the round now I know you're saying the character issue uh, you mean like Reuben Foster fell when he was maybe going to go top yes. five? And, and Reuben Foster would be the case not to do my scenario. Yeah, that's kind You're of absolutely point. right. Reuben Foster is by far the worst draft pick the Niners have had in a long time. I'm going to say that every case when it, when it comes to quote-unquote character is absolutely on its own. But I would think that this year, uh, with as many hindrances as the scouting process has provided because of the pandemic i am not rolling the dice on something that I, i'm not rolling the dice on character i'm not doing the kendichi thing or or the tyron matthew thing i mean unless it's later you know if we're talking third round with tyron matthew that's a whole different ball game but i'm not spending a first round pick on a guy now i don't know much about his background i've heard good things about him as a player i so i i, I don't know I don't know to what you speak of at this point, but I will say this, that I am not, I'm not rolling the dice. I need a guy. I need a guy that I know is going to be the right guy. All right. So let's test Kyle's um, devotion to his best player available theory. If Micah Parsons is there and he's the best guy on your board, are you on board with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to do best, player available in a tier system of premium positions too. So he could be the best player, but he's an inside linebacker. So that knocks him down. But at number 16, I think an inside linebacker is in play. If you think he's, you know, one of a, a top five athlete in the draft and he's sitting there at 16, I mean, inside linebacker isn't as important as outside linebacker and corner, but we saw the Daryl Washington, Carlos Dansby duo and how good those two were and how much better they made the defense. So it's not like there's this tremendous premium positions and lesser positions. If you get the best inside linebacker in the NFL, that is still going to be a huge boon for your defense. So I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, if, if Micah Parsons is your number one ranked guy right there, I think you draft him. And then, I mean, you figure it out when he's a rookie, maybe you move Isaiah Simmons around a lot more because he's going to plunk in or, he plays half the time until he's ready to play full time. But sure, I mean, Micah Parsons and Isaiah Simmons in the middle of your defense, you can dream about that. So all things being equal, I'd take the pass rusher and the corner. But if you're talking about the fourth corner or the best inside linebacker, then yeah, I think you do take a Micah Parsons. And again, uh, being the, the 
the splash of cold water on this, just like need is factored in when they start ranking their tiers and the best players, so is character. So that also could play into it. He he might you might think he's the best linebacker ever, and if a guy has issues off the field, uh, big time issues off the field, that might move him all the way down out of your top twenty. So you just you just don't know how they they're going to rank these guys. I'll just throw this out there. It's still a copycat league. The team that just won the Super Bowl had Levante David and Devin White at inside linebacker. Right along the lines of a Daryl Washington and Carlos Danzig. Name some of the great duos. You know, how about back in Carolina's heyday when they had Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis? Think of so yes, think of Isaiah Simmons and a Micah Parsons. You're, dot, you're, dot, dot. you're not wrong. But that duo didn't even make the playoffs until Tom Brady showed up. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves of what they meant. And as for the tier system, you're yeah. right. Steve Kimes still ascribes to the quarterback, left tackle, cornerback, edge rusher philosophy in that first round. So, you know, ideally, that's where you're going, especially the top half of the first round. Now you're getting into the middle of the first round. Perhaps that's more likely to change, and, and, and I'm sure it will. I mean, he, he – Took Isaiah Simmons, who's a hybrid, but inside backer, and he took Hassan Reddick to play inside backer. So clearly he's willing to do it after the top five. So there you go. Okay, you guys are on board. Let's move on then. <laughs> Round two, I will say something definitive. After we spoke with Drew Grigson, Cardinals Director of Player Personnel on the Big Red Rage, and we just asked him about general depth in this draft, an open-ended question, he said, you know what? And this never happens. Do you know the deepest position group 2021? Pass rusher, edge rusher. I said, really? Because can you think of another year where the deepest position group was edge rusher? Come on now, right? You can usually count it on one hand, if that. So here's my prediction. We already haggled out which way the Cardinals are going to go in round one. But gentlemen, you got to agree that in round two, considering the status of a Chandler Jones, an unknown going forward, and Marcus Golden also being 30 years of age plus, guess what? I think they're going edge rusher in round two. Just based on depth alone, Darren, and you're sort of giving me that glimmer. Your, your glasses are tilted back a little bit, and uh, you know your jaw is set to the, the side. Uh, here it comes. Well, I mean, I, I don't think they're – would they mind an edge rusher if the right guy's there? Yeah, but it's funny. Recently, um, I had a chance to talk to former defensive tackle Gabe Watson, and he was talking about when he got drafted. <laughs> and uh, the year that Gabe Watson got drafted, which I believe was 06, um, he, he recalled the conversation he had with Denny Green, where Denny's like, I, I really love you, um, and I think you're a first-round pick, so I don't think by the time we get around to picking you – uh, we we uh, will be able to because you'll be long off the board because in the first round we're going to get a quarterback and the second round we're going to get a running back and what whatever he whatever the story was and it just cracked me up because I'm like that was kind of Denny I remember being at the at the combine one year and he he was doing his press with the media uh, and it was the JJ Arrington draft and he basically all but announced that they were going to take JJ Arrington in the second round which is exactly what they did. Uh, and I just, maybe that's just how Denny worked things as opposed to all the cloak and dagger that we normally have around the draft. But that said, 
when you sit here and say, well, second round, they're going to go pass rusher. I don't think it works that way. I mean, would, would they like a pass rusher? Would, if Denny was in the room, would they have already decided they're taking a pass rusher in the second round? Perhaps. But I, I don't I don't think that they're going to lock in and say, well, wait, this receiver who we really like in the second round after we got this cornerback in the first round and we might need a receiver down the road, we might just spend the second pick on a on a wide receiver or this this offensive guard who we think slipped a little bit. I mean, those are also very strong possibilities to me than just going all Denny Green and saying, well, we'll take a pass rusher. The only other coach I can recall who would do that, who would have that sort of audacity, Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, and I remember we talked to him about this later. It was an interview on one of his coaches' shows, and he had talked about a certain draft pick in the pre-draft presser of which historically nothing is said, nothing concrete or detailed. And he actually named a few names in that press conference. <laughs> he told us on his coaches show that, oh yeah, well, everybody thinks you're lying. So I just told the truth and nobody believes you anyway. So there's no risk. There's no harm, no foul, because there's no risk because nobody thinks you're giving them real info anyway. Oh, okay, so here's my question to the two of you. 2014, he comes out the second day of the draft after the second day and he goes, we're not drafting a quarterback because he didn't take Derek Carr, whatever he didn't do. And then the next day, the first pick in the fourth round, they take Logan Thomas and he tells us all he lied. So the question is, right. did Bruce really lie the day before or did he tell the truth that they weren't taking a quarterback and then they just changed their minds after he walked away from us? I have a theory on that one. I'm not reporting. I'm just saying, I don't think Bruce Arians or any of the coaches were on board with Logan Thomas. I'll just leave it there. That was a division of church and state. And I think that came from above and I'll just leave it right there. Kyle. See, I was going to say the opposite. I thought he, he liked Logan Thomas and, and liked the idea of him and had that Virginia tech background and all that. But um, I don't know. <laughs> what? And we're just going to stop talking about that now. Yeah. No, if not pass rusher in round two, Kyle. I mean, do you have an inkling, okay, uh, as to what position they might target in round two? And then hit zoom out on round two in general. They don't have a, a third round pick. They don't have a fourth round pick. I mean, they better make that one count, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think edge rusher gets a little bit lost in this in this conversation because cornerback has been the heavy theme and then wide receiver, I think, to an extent. But – I agree with you. When you look at beyond 2021, there are some questions at edge rusher. And I think it's, it's legitimately in that top three with cornerback and wide receiver. So all things being equal, I think they're going to look closely at that group. And I think there's depth in part because there isn't elite talent at edge rusher where there's questions about all the top guys and there might not be a top 10 edge rusher, which is pretty rare these days, everybody's looking for them and wants them. So I think that might play into it. But overall, yeah, I mean, when you look at how few picks you have in the top four rounds with just first and second, I think it's integral for the future of this team to hit on both of them, you know, in a perfect world, because we're very focused on the here and now in 2021 and 2022. And most of this core is going to be here for that. And then I think there's question marks about what it's going to look like after that. And I think you need to start grooming some young players to become impact pieces. And 
it's obviously lottery tickets when you're talking about fifth and sixth and seventh round picks, but these first and second rounders can be core players. And we see it right now, the, the Buda Bakers and the Kyler Murray's and the Byron Murphy's. I mean, all those guys are key players for this team. And I just think hitting on these two picks this season is so essential because of how few picks you have and because of how few guys are under contract past 2022. Because, Darren, to Kyle's point about the importance of these draft picks right here, right now, not just in the absence of certain draft picks that were traded away, whether in the Rodney Hudson deal or the fourth rounder, DeAndre Hopkins, that clock you hear ticking in the background isn't just for the 16th pick overall in the 2021 draft. That's on having a rookie quarterback contract under your cap. Cardinals are a year or two away from not being afforded that luxury. So to Kyle's point, it is more important than ever, I would think, that you are grooming a significant crop of young guys on rookie deals. Yeah, there's no question that they've kind of, you know, they're in a position right now where it could get real sticky going forward if they don't hit on some of these drop picks. And that's why when you're not hitting on the draft or where you're even trading it away for other stuff, that it can be an issue. And, and they really could use, I mean, people are going to look at, two fifths and a seventh or whatever, a fifth and two sevenths, whatever they have, um, and think, okay, this is the back end of the draft. I mean, if they could somehow get a starter out of one of those picks, and that's a stretch. At this point, they probably would just take, you know, depth uh, with all three of those guys. But if they could somehow get at least one starter out of that, that would be gigantic uh, with where they are right now because you you, you do get in a, in a tough spot. And, uh, you know – Look, I think everybody kind of addresses their needs in a completely, I wouldn't say completely different ways. There's only so many ways you can do it. But, like, teams can do it way – I mean, there are teams that stockpile draft picks and that still doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win a bunch of games. Um, so you, you still got to be able to hit on those guys. And as Kyle was saying earlier, there's, there's a bus factor at every position period end of story i mean we're gonna we're gonna see three quarterbacks taken in the first three picks at least and potentially four or five quarterbacks in the top 10 and at least half of them are gonna probably wash out that's what the statistics say so i mean and those are all guys that teams are counting on being you know their future so look this is we we say this every year you got to do better in the draft i know fans get struggle with how steve kime drafts and and what he's going to but the reality is is a you're you're going to miss on some guys just automatically because those are the numbers and b you're right they better start hitting on some of those younger players because they need to start filling out the roster with guys that are going to be around for three or four or five years at a relatively cheap contract and that's why i feel like you can't handicap yourself by saying i'm going to take a corner at 16 even if it's our fourth favorite cornerback like I just think you have to keep a complete open mind. We've been talking so much about win, win now in free agency, and that's obviously the time to plug the holes because you can get the veterans like a James Conner and a Malcolm Butler and, and really address your needs. And I just really zoom out when it comes to the first round of the draft because this is a guy that you just – need in three or four years when you know have no idea what your roster composition is going to be and if you if you prioritize a cornerback over a better player at another position that just has the potential to be i just think it has a lot of downside potential because you're not taking the better player if you prioritize positional need too much 
because you go from a first round pick this year to a second round pick, no third, no fourth. You have a fifth, a sixth, and two sevenths. And guess what? You can't count on a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick to be a contributor this year. Absolutely not. Do they have a sixth? Yes, a fifth, a sixth, and two sevenths. And they picked up a six somewhere along the way because they traded away the six to the Giants in the Marcus Golden deal. Oh, they got the six from Mason Cole. That's right. There you go. My bad. So so that's where they stand right now. But there's a huge gap between first and second round picks and then all of a sudden bringing in a fifth round rookie and beyond. So yeah. I, I agree with you, Kyle, that you're right. You, you can't make a mistake. And inevitably, if you're going to force a position that's going to lead to a mistake, I guess my question becomes, if not corner in round one or round two, ah, uh, okay. Do you pick up the phone? Hey, Richard Sherman, uh, you want to stay in the NFC West? I mean, what are you doing at that point? I think, I mean, Darren's point from a couple podcasts ago has really stuck with me where you have some cornerbacks out there on the free agent market that clearly aren't going to cost a lot. If you look at the Cardinal salary cap space, they have plenty of room to maneuver if they want to bring in a name. And I just think that's a definite option. Like don't force yourself into grabbing a corner in the first or second round if you don't love them because, okay, it looks great on paper in June and July, and then you get to camp and he's not ready and you're not in any better position than you were before the draft started. So I think there are plenty of cornerbacks out there. I mean, Drake Kirkpatrick came in and did fine. He wasn't great, but he was fine. I mean, you can find guys that can at least do it. There's a lot of veteran cornerbacks on the market. So I think that's just really stuck with me where you don't have to force cornerback, even though everybody thinks you do. I think, yeah, in a perfect world, if you get one, you feel really good because now you have somebody that you can build around them and Byron Murphy. You like those two already but just don't force it. I, I tend to agree with this. And, and it, the deal is this, and we always hear the cliche of, you know, athletes or even coaches or front office blocking out the noise. I mean, I think this is one of those things where you block out the noise. Look, Steve Kime knows this reality. A lot of fans are grumpy with him because of a lot of the draft picks that he's taken over the years. So he knows this. He's in a no-win situation. I mean, unless he has the best, draft class of all time, which we're not even going to know for a while, he's not going to change everybody's minds all of a sudden. It's going to, usually it looks good on day, uh, on the, during the draft, and then we have to see how it plays out. We all know that if they don't take a cornerback with one of the first two picks, the sky will be falling from the entire fan base. And, and he knows that. So why, why worry about it? Because if you take a cornerback in one of the first two picks and you do it you feel like you need one, like Kyle said, and he fizzles out, the fan base is going to hate you anyways. From the outside looking in, the Cardinals, according to some of the websites that track this sort of stuff, have $13 million plus in cap room right now. You have to account for your draft class, obviously, that comes out of that pool of money. But there is available money. If they don't end up getting that corner in and, and round one, then all of a sudden that becomes a dire need, and you just need bodies, period. Then you go out into the market, and there's still plenty of free agents available, as you guys you guys detailed right there. So, okay. I would say this going into Thursday night and the, in the draft, April 29th, it doesn't appear from the outside looking in that the Cardinals have any glaring weaknesses after picking up Malcolm Butler, after picking up James Conner, after bolstering the offensive line, signing Marcus Golden, making the deal for JJ Watt, 
et cetera. I mean, Kyle, would you agree with that? I mean, there isn't an obvious, really painfully obvious direction the Cardinals might go with 16 overall. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's painfully obvious like we've talked about because I don't think you should target a position even if it is a need. But I, I do feel like the second cornerback and tight end are the two spots remaining where you probably need some sort of valuable player at those two positions. And whether that's 16 second round free agency, I don't know. But I, I think by the time we get to camp, you look at the roster, those would be the two spots where – I would be feeling better as the GM if if I have a, another option at number two corner, if I have a, a a tight end that can catch passes in the in the Dan Arnold type realm because you've got Max Williams and he's done a nice job when he's been on the field. He's been a little bit injury prone, and then Darrell Daniels is the next guy behind him. So I still think tight end and and cornerback are the two main ones to me. But I don't I just don't subscribe to I'm taking a corner at 16 and I'm taking a tight end in the second round because I think there are myriad ways to figure out ways to patch those holes. I will say that I'm looking forward to the Robert Alford revenge tour that's inevitably coming as we all write him off and he comes in and he plays at a near Pro Bowl level. It's got a good ring to it. He should come in with a concert tee, the Robert Alford revenge tour 2021. That would be a good concert tee. And you can just list all the Cardinals opponents on the back and then maybe another column instead of cities on the, on the concert tour, just be number of media people who written, you know, wrote them off and, you know, I just name names on the back of that t-shirt. That's pretty solid. Somebody needs to, where's the intern. We need to make that happen around here. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Who wants, who wants the Zach Ertz question? When you talk about tight end, there have been multiple sightings of Zach Ertz in the Valley, anecdotally. Is he his wife from Mesa? His wife is from Mesa. Okay. Julie Johnston, you know, all uh, USA soccer player, now Julie Ertz. Makes sense. Okay. Um, what's the deal with the Eagles right now? I mean, aren't, aren't relations pretty poor there? Zach Ertz and the Eagles, having the Eagles tried to get a pretty penny in return for Zach Ertz, even though I think the rest of the league – is anticipating they're going to have to either deal him for pennies on the dollar or just flat out release him. I, I tell you, the longer the offseason goes on and that tight end position is not addressed, and I do not expect the Cardinals to address it in the draft with, since they're low on picks, unless it's a fifth, sixth, or seventh rounder, then I, I really wonder, okay, is Zach Ertz still on the radar somehow, some way, Kyle? Yeah, and that's what I mean by there's myriad ways to fill these holes because right now maybe you don't like the compensation it would take to trade for a Zach Ertz or whoever, but maybe in two months that changes and it's a more palatable deal to you. And who knows what the behind-the-scenes conversations are like. I mean, you bring up Zach Ertz, but there's always like multiple things going on with different players and different positions that we have no idea about until it comes out deandre hopkins last year nobody knew he was on the block until he was traded so i think there's there's always the behind the scene things that we don't really know about in the media at large that can happen and that's why i just feel like the cardinals have some cap room they have draft assets next season they're in win now mode i think there's there's a lot of different avenues to filling any perceived roster holes and i think you just can't can't keep such a keen eye on these first and second round picks because 
there's still a lot of free agents. There's trade possibilities. There's the draft. I think all three are avenues for potential success. If this is Sports Talk Radio. Okay, Paulie Pencilneck on line two. Here we go. First time uh, caller. Here's my trade. Uh, here we go. Justin Murray, Howie Roseman, you listening? Justin Murray, Devon Kennard, and a fifth round pick for Zach Ertz. Let's make it happen. Something like well, that, that, that on that draft really day here. And on draft day, a draft day deal, I mean, a la Kevin Costner. Okay, this is some sort of deal comes down like the movies and Zach Ertz ends up in a Cardinals uniform. Why Why would they want? No, I, I just don't see that. They, it's they, sports talk radio. The trade doesn't have to make sense. I'm just <laughs> throwing it out there. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, that's just me with my dramatic reenactment of what I, I think might just happen on draft day or draft weekend. Maybe a deal is uh, finalized for Zach Ertz by the Eagles. Maybe. I just the problem with Ertz is he's already making I think eight million dollars this year and he's going into his contract year. So are you going to do a rental for a draft pick, um, in which you're probably going to want to pay him a lot of money? I, I just I don't think it makes a lot of sense for here for the amount that they use their tight end, but that's just me. Well, Drew Grigson did tell us on the Big Red Rage that quote the shoe prints are on the table end quote. That was in response to Wolf's question about whether. All the arguments have been hashed out in the war room about how to construct the big board and guys who have been tracking and covering a player and analyzing and rating a guy for two or three years feel passionately about their player. And so there's spirited discussion. Sometimes Drew has to just step in with his 500 pound bench press and separate guys, you know, and, uh, you know, but that right now, the Cardinals top 120 is formulated, whether there's adjustments between now and draft night, we'll see, but that's what they operate on. I mean, that's, that's the method, correct Kyle? Yeah. And they, and, and like Darren talked about, there is some focus on roster needs within that. It's not just a straight 120 best players because quarterback would be devalued this year. I mean, safety, Maybe you love a safety prospect, but if he's anywhere close to a cornerback, you're leaning corner over safety because of what you got right now. Uh, so I think that plays into it. But overall, yeah, they get that 120, and then they're taking the guesswork and the anxiety out of draft day because it's, you know, you're just crossing off names or taking them off the board, and then you have a good idea who's going to be there um, when you're on the clock. And you, you want to go through those scenarios in the week or two leading up to it and saying, okay, if it's down to these three guys, who do we want? Because the last thing you want is to be on the clock with 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it is, trying to have a debate. I mean, you want to have all that fleshed out and decided on. So there's no second guessing and no changing. And, you know, I'm sure it happens. Uh, there's a lot of different forces involved and a lot of people that have strong opinions but anything you can do prior is a good thing because you want to have a very clear idea of your plan going into draft day. As I pause for effect, because that leaves us with one unanswered question. What is Larry Fitzgerald's status going into the draft? <laughs> I was hoping we'd get to this. Does that matter for Steve Kime and the war room? Does he need to know what Larry said? Does he know and we don't know? Where, where are we in the Larry equation right now? Anybody, everybody, I, what can you offer? I did enjoy, I got a tweet yesterday with, a, with somebody saying, what's going on with Larry? We're almost to the draft. The fans need to know. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I, 
I got to be honest, I'll do respect to the fans or even us. Like I'm thinking we're down on the, the, the priority list on who actually needs to know that information. Where's Mark Dalton, Cardinals VP, when we need him? Isn't that the end of the uh, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise and a few good men? What is it? Uh, you know, I want to know. You have a right to know. What is it? They go back and forth at the end you of the deliberation. You can handle the truth. Right. Something like that. Well, you know, the fans, they're, they're empowered. Uh, and, uh, you know, they like to play, um, you know, their, their own draft cap experts. So uh, everyone's wondering. Speaking of tweets, though, and Larry, glad you brought that up. Uh, Darren, because I got one here at Paul Calvisi. I love that you are in the grassy knoll. Just listen to your recent podcast. <laughs> Quote, thus far. This is from a man by the name of Travis, and he has oh. some sort of doctorate designation on the end of his uh, Twitter handle. Okay. A uh, man with a PhD, apparently. I was, hoping, I was hoping it was from Fitz. He continues here with the thus far. Having training in psychiatry, I can confirm that the expression alludes to the idea that he may have more football in his future. Hashtag Freudian slip. There you go. Took a week and it took a PhD to weigh in via Twitter, but there you go. Finally, someone is in the Pauly pencil neck camp when it comes to Larry Fitzgerald. Hashtag thus far. Your 12 weeks of Larry Fitzgerald theories have finally paid off. So now we are confident that we, what is, so what's it going to be? He's coming back. Is that what he's saying? Well, he's coming back to the game, Kyle. Um, this is my latest theory that in in relation to our earlier theory uh, from last week, it actually was on the back of something you had thrown out there. See, this, this is a, you know, this is teamwork here. Compound okay. theories. I like right. it. That's how this, you know, it's a great idea. You get a bunch of people in a room and you throw stuff out and it's, and it's, it's a catalyst for other ideas. So the reason we don't know about Larry is because he has no interest in participating in this offseason. There are two destinations for Larry Fitzgerald. Most likely if he comes back, it'll be the Cardinals. Okay, I'm with you guys on that one. But there's another offensive playbook out there that he doesn't need an offseason to learn because he had five years in it, and it happens to be in Tampa. So if there's another offseason where he can just give himself 36 holes of golf every single day, and not have to worry about the nuisance of virtual Zoom sessions in season 18, it would be Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers. And I, he's coming back. It's going to be one destination or the other. You can set your odds accordingly on the Cardinals versus Buccaneers. That's where we're at right now. I think you accidentally maybe brought up a good point about the draft because <laughs> I mean he's almost out of sight out of mind for me right now we're talking about the Cardinals taking a wide receiver at 16 and if that happens does Fitz have anywhere to play I mean if you talk about a Jalen Waddle or a Devontae Smith does that completely shut the door on it I mean yes I never yes. even no he's he's not coming back to the Cardinals if they go receiver at 16. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I didn't even really think about it. He's just been kind of outside of the purview doing this draft stuff, but that is kind of interesting where – and if you're Steve Kahn, I don't think that can factor in at all. You're looking long-term for this team, and if you love a Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, whoever, if they're there at 16, I don't think you can consider, even though Larry Fitzgerald means a ton for this organization, you have to decide what's best in 2021 and beyond. And if you love that player, I think you take them. And then, yeah, if, if that happens, there's going to be a lot of 
concerned about what that means for Larry Fitzgerald. It's funny because I twice in my career I've gone to a veteran quarterback um, when they were still in a point where they were playing a lot to ask them when the drum beat was loud that the Cardinals might take a quarterback in the first round or a quarterback period, maybe not the first round. I was still with the Tribune in 2006 when I managed to talk to Kurt Warner in March, early March, whatever it was, and asked him how he felt if the Cardinals were to take his successor in the first round because there were guys like Vince Young and Matt Leinart and Jay Cutler available. And Kurt Warner in no uncertain terms said he didn't understand why you'd want to take a quarterback in the first round. This team was close enough to win. Give me, get, let's get, get a player that's going to help us right away rather than somebody who's going to sit behind me for the time being. Flash forward to 20, I think it was 2016 maybe. Well, before you do that, though, Darren, 2006, yeah. what did the Cardinals do? Number 10 overall? Matt Liner. USC. And, and Matt, not only did they take Matt Liner, but Kurt started the season, made it two and a half games before he fumbled 10 times in two and a half games and got benched, and then all hell broke loose the rest of that season. Believe me, um, I was that, there. Danny Green ripped the microphone out of my hand in Atlanta and declared Matt Liner the starter. So that's continue, a, Darren. That's a whole <laughs> other story. Um then in 2016 or so, I remember going and talk to Carson Palmer and saying, okay, there's a lot of talk that this team could take a quarterback as your eventual successor. And Carson Palmer couldn't have been more like, I would totally understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be playing this game forever. And, you know, if they want to take somebody to learn under me, I completely understand. It. I would have no problem take if they took a quarterback. And it was just, it's striking to me. A little bit that the dichotomy you know I, I think Fitz is at a point in his career where he's had a lot of guys um, come through anyways that may or may not have replaced him I mean Michael Floyd they took Michael Floyd because they thought he was going to be good but and I know it was back in 2012 so it seems like a lifetime ago they took Michael Floyd to replace Larry Fitzgerald that's why they took Michael Floyd the thought process was Larry had another year or two to go or so before it wasn't going to work anymore. And Michael Floyd would be a nice guy to step in. And I remember even joking with Michael Floyd, who did not necessarily like doing a lot of media. And I remember one time Larry was doing his little post-practice scrum by his locker, and I didn't have to be over there for it. And Michael Floyd kind of comes over and he's kind of looking at it. And I sidled up to him. I said, hey, I said, when he retires, that's – that's going to be your gig. You're going to have the big scrum. And he looked at me and he's like, no, it ain't. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is so Michael Floyd. You're right. But yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. That's almost a decade ago. They ostensibly drafted Larry Fitzgerald's replacement in, in round one, 13 overall, if memory serves with, with Michael Floyd. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Hey, I wouldn't put it past Larry just announcing that he retires if that's the route he goes during draft weekend. If it's about reducing the fanfare and minimizing the headlines, you know what? Just bury it in the middle of round one somewhere around Thursday's Thursday night's draft. Oh, and by the way, footnote, number 11 has retired after 17 seasons. I guess I don't really understand the reducing fanfare aspect. Can't he just go to an island and turn off his phone and – come back in three weeks. I mean, the, the news cycle goes so fast. I mean, obviously people will 
say a lot of nice things about him, but if he really doesn't have any interest in participating, why can't he just leave and enjoy a mojito or something and then come back when he's ready? As long as they have 18 holes of golf on that deserted island. Yeah. Just remember that. Yeah. Okay. Just throw your phone away. Yeah, that's true. So, all right. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, as of right now, hey, my, my theory is still plausible, right? Thus far, speaking of present tense about his, uh, there's, there's, there's no past tense, there's no future tense. He's still speaking in present tense. So we'll take that as, as, as if he's still an active player. So much conviction, Paul. My theory is still plausible. That's what you're going with. You got you to gotta really lean into it and pretend like you know. Try to get that grassy knoll going a lot harder. I'm so going to miss this part of the podcast when we can't do it anymore. Well, I mean, and, I, and I'm being genuine here, Paul. They might change from week to week, but God darn it, I own it that week. I own that theory that week. I mean, let, let it be said that I'm fully vested with each and every theory they might have a shelf life, but I'm in. I'm all in. Well, and even if even if he retires, you're going to have the theories of him coming back. So I don't think this is going to be dead for a long time. I mean, this is like the Michael Jordan, yeah. will he or won't he? Paul's yeah. going to keep that alive for Fitz. Well, that is plausible. Let's just get out of the way right now, Kyle. You're right. Because there's, there's, I'm not putting it past Larry pulling a Dwight Freeney or a John Abraham showing up in late late August or even mid-September. I mean, I, I absolutely. He's, he's capable of doing that. Come on now. We know that. All right. There you go. We'll see. Uh, you know, we need answers. Just like the guy who tweeted you, Darren, you know, we, we need answers around here, you know, um, I get it. you know, whether it, whether it's a few good men or it's uh, or it's just uh, in the mailbag, uh, we need and deserve answers. It's happening in threes, Paul. So that's what yeah. we're hoping for. Hopefully it'll be clear, crystal clear by next Thursday night and the start of the draft. That'll do it for Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.